Well, good evening. It's so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming out on a rainy Monday night. And um, I've always said this since the start of the living room, but um, it's so much better when you come, you know? I mean, when you're here, like we would love doing this. I mean, that would be pretty awesome to experience the worship we just had, but it's so much better when you're in the room. I just want to say that. So thank you. And thank you for uh, being here regardless of what's going on with midterms right now and not to stress any of you out. But I really appreciate for uh, all of you students to be coming out with us on a Monday night. It's great to see all of you. We are in this series called Knowing You. Tonight is part two of the series, and we are answering the question, who am I? That's the question that we're trying to answer throughout this series. We're, you're going to hear that every week. And what I love about us asking this question and trying to answer this question over the next few weeks is that this is a great season for you to be answering this question. In fact, this is a question that you're going to ask the rest of your life. It's a question that I'm asking about my own life right now um, because you're always going to be growing. You're always going to be uh, learning new things about yourself and becoming more self-aware. But you've got to know the answer to this question. You've got to figure this out or else if you're confused, then you might do things that aren't exactly who you are. Okay, and so this is a great season of life for you to discover the answer to the question, who am I? And some of you are still trying to figure out what you're studying. Like, you don't know what you're studying yet. Like, you're in class, but you don't know what you're studying for, okay? You're like, I'm taking this class because the counselor told me to take the class, but I'm not really sure why I'm in this class because I don't really want to be in this class. And I get that. You're like, I don't know what I want to be or what I want to do. And, you know, you're going to discover that over the next couple of years, and then maybe about 10 years from now, you're going to figure it out and be like, this is who I want to be when I grow up, you know? And that's going to be perfectly fine. But who am I? is a really, really important question uh, to answer. And more than that, you've got to know your identity because identity informs your activity. That's what we talked about last week. Identity informs activity. And what we mean when we say identity informs activity, we mean that, that what you do comes out of who you are. Okay, what you do comes out of who you are. Now, there's a problem when what you do doesn't match up to who you are. And we see this happen all the time in our culture. We see this in, uh, with political leaders or leaders in our nation. When we see like, you know, a sexual scandal go out on and it's a breaking news. And it's like, can you believe it? This person had an affair. You know, those things happen all the time in the news. And it's not shocking to us anymore. You know, we're used to seeing it on the news all the time. It's like, man, there goes another leader in our country having an affair. And those things just happen. You know, or um, we see like a, a, a great CEO get caught embezzling money from the company. And it's like, wait, you're the CEO of the company or you're a leader in this company and you're stealing from your own company. That, that activity doesn't match up to who you are. We saw that recently, actually, in a few years ago in this city when teachers, public school teachers, were cheating for the kids on, the, on their achievement test because they knew if their kids performed well, they would get bonuses, okay? And, and it's just crazy. It's like you're a, a, a teacher. You're an educator. That activity, cheating, doesn't add up to who you're supposed to be. And, and the reality is we can criticize those movements. We can criticize those things. We can criticize it when those things happen. But if we were to evaluate our lives... We know there's times in our own lives that our own activity doesn't add up to who we are. Paul said it this way. 
Paul says in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, you might have heard this verse before, but he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what he means by that is that we cannot live up to the standard. The standard is that we would reflect and, and reveal God in the world that we live in, that we would live a life pleasing to God. And there are times in our lives when we fall short of that. But the good news is that Paul didn't stop in verse 23. He said this in verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And what this word justified means is that we were made right freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by the gift of his son, meaning that God knew we weren't going to live up to the standard. God knew that we were going to fall short of his glory. And because we were going to fall short of his glory, he gave us his son to make us right, to pay the penalty for our sin. And that's really great news. That's what we call the gospel. That's good news. And that means that God gave us a gift of his son to pay for our debt of sin. But here's the problem tonight. See, we take on this identity that we are made right in Christ. And that's a really good thing that we get Christ's identity which is what we need because we're never going to be good enough. We're never going to meet the standard. We're always going to fall short of the standard. So we take on Christ's identity. In fact, next week, Kristen Fry is going to be telling us who we are, what the scripture says about who we are. When we answer the question, who am I? What does the scripture say about who we are? So don't miss next week. Don't miss two weeks from now because Trey McKnight is going to be here sharing as well. And he's going to be talking about the scripture as well, answering the question, who are we? But when we take on that identity of Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, we get a new identity. And when we get that new identity, there are still times in our lives that we fall short, that we sin, that we make a mistake. And we said it last week that we actually run to other sources to find our satisfaction. And what happens when we run to other sources to find our satisfaction or when we fall short as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ then there becomes confusion about our identity. There becomes confusion around the question of who are we? Who am I? And when that happens, insecurity rises up. Now, I'm just going to give you a definition of in insecurity, but you know this, you're smart college students, but insecurity is to be unsure or uncertain about yourself. Insecurity is to be unsure or uncertain about yourself. Now, when you're asking the question, who am I? And then all of a sudden... There's confusion around that answer to that question, then insecurity rises up. And when insecurity rises up, you will make decisions that you will regret. You will make decisions that you will regret. Now, this is really important for you to understand this. This is kind of critical for you to understand the entire series, okay? That when insecurity rises up in your life, you will make poor decisions because you don't know who you are. You're not living from who you are. You're confused about who you are. And when that happens, I need you to know that the thought I'm going to introduce tonight is, it's a really big thought, is that there is an influencing factor on your decisions. There's an influencing factor who actually will use your insecurities to deceive you. And it will, he will lead you to making poor decisions for your life. Now, 
Um, before I go any further, I need to make a disclaimer to everyone in the room. And uh, this is actually a disclaimer to everyone, but also especially to the new people in the room. Okay, So um, I do this often uh, when, I, when I teach here, and so people who are regulars are going to be used to this. But if you're brand new in the room, I just need you to, uh, everybody's just all skate here. I just need you to show us that you're new by a show of hands. You're a first-timer here to the living room tonight. Just show of hands. Wow, this is amazing. Every week this happens. So, hey, can we welcome all the new-timers? This is awesome. We're so glad you're here. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for coming. It's so cool that you guys come. Thank you for coming tonight and figuring it out. Now, here's the disclaimer. You ready? Okay. We are going to talk about the devil tonight. That's the disclaimer, okay? And um, I just, for the new people in the room, I know that suspicion might be rising up right now, and you're like, okay, you said there was going to be free food. That was awesome, even though we had to inhale it before we got in here because the bus was late, but it was still worth it, okay? And then you're like, you told me the music was going to be good, and the music was good, and you're like, that's awesome. And then all of a sudden, the speaker says that we're going to talk about the devil, and you're going to be like, I knew it. It's one of those churches, you know? It's weird, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I get it, you know, if you're talking about the devil, it's weird, okay, there's no other way around it, it's weird, okay, but the reason we're going to talk about the devil is that I want you to understand the way he works, the way he operates, and that he's real, okay, and to introduce this thought, I just want to put this perspective on, on the screen here. There's, there's two different camps when it comes to this, okay? There's, a, there's the end of the spectrum over here that's satanic paranoia, okay? Satanic paranoia are people who blame everything on Satan, okay? And I don't know if you've ever been around these people or if you've ever heard about these people or if you've ever he- overheard a conversation, but this, like, falls into the weird category, okay? But it's like, you know, these people are like, you know, the reason I failed my test, do you know why I failed my Satan? Satan, you know, calling in. He's like, what do you mean, Satan? He's like, well, I was watching Netflix, you know, and I got to the end, and then, then I read the caption of the next episode, and I just had to get one more in, and then I got to the end, and then the next thing you know, four hours later, I was still watching the same TV show, and Satan made me do it. He made me watch four hours of Netflix. Okay, or, or they're like, you know, um, you know, I totally overslept this morning, and I was late to class, and, and you know, Satan made me do it. He made me, uh, he didn't set my alarm. Like, he, you know, it was like, what in the world? Or you're, you're getting into the car that morning, and you're going to work, and your car doesn't start because your battery's dead, and you're like, I knew it, Satan. I mean, he's in the battery, you know, it's his fault, you know? And, and or, you know... I asked her out, and she said no again, and Satan, you know, Satan just doesn't want me to have a date, you know, I asked her out, and she said yes, and it was Satan, you know, he's like, it's his fault, I mean, what in the world's going on there, or he won't stop texting me, you know, he just keeps texting me, it's Satan, he is Satan, for crying out loud, but he just stopped texting me, and, and, and the satanic paranoia crowd the deal with them is they give way too much credit to Satan. Okay, and I don't, you know, we laugh and we make light of it and all this stuff, but I, I just want to say, you know, I don't think he's that powerful. Now, I don't want to discredit him. I don't want to say that he's not powerful. I don't want to say that he's not real. And, and that there's a whole other camp, the satanic denial camp over here. Now, I'll be honest with you. There was a time in my life, I was in the satanic denial camp. I will remember that uh, as a little kid, I can remember the tree that I was under in my neighbor's backyard. And he asked me if I believed in hell. And for some reason, at like seven, I don't know how old I was, but I think I was around seven. I said, no, I don't believe in hell. 
I was like, I don't, I don't believe in hell because if I don't believe in the devil, then he cannot hurt me, okay? Like, I just thought that was like, a, that was my seven-year-old theology. I was like, you know, I, hey, if I just don't believe in it, he can't do anything to me, you know? And, and you know, the people who, who live in this camp, satanic denial, they're the ones that like watch the movie, the horror movie. They're watching the horror movie like this. And they're like, if I just don't believe it's real, then it's not going to scare me. You know, if I just don't believe it's not real, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. But that's what the satanic denial camp, you know, kind of lives in. They just don't believe that he exists at all. And Jesus comes right in the middle of both of them. And he says some very important things about our enemy. All right, and I want you to see this tonight. It's in John chapter 8, verse 44. And what's so amazing about this passage is that he's having a conversation with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are trying to come after Jesus. And they're trying to accuse him that he is not the Son of God. They're trying to discredit him. And this is what he says to them. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, this is what you need to see in this. Um, well, we, oh, you, we lost it. Can we go back to the uh, highlighted slide? Yeah, there we go. Um, so, when he lies, he speaks in his native language. So, there is an enemy. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, by the way, there is a devil. He's real. Okay? And when he lies, he speaks in his native language. He, he does not know how to speak the truth. He's going to twist the truth, and he's going to deceive you. Now, to set this up and try to get an, an example of this, I would love to show you a clip from a very famous movie. I, I'm just curious in the room tonight, how many of you have seen uh, The Lion King? Show of hands here. I'll, I'll skate here. How, okay, just show of hands one more time. How many of you have not seen The Lion King? And be honest, don't, don't, if you're, I know, one, Olivia, where are you? Show your hand, Olivia. I know you're in the room. Okay, that's all right. All right, so listen, it's okay if you haven't seen it. Spoiler alert, where I'm showing the most critical scene of the movie, okay? So, but what we're setting up here is um, there is uh, Mufasa is the king, okay, and he has a son named Simba, okay, and the story is about Simba is going to become king one day. But the story takes a tragic turn because Mufasa, the king, dies earlier than expected. Spoiler alert, sorry for the three people who haven't seen Lion King. And, and the scene we're about to watch is Scar, who's the brother of Mufasa actually kills Mufasa, okay? Now, that has already taken place. Everybody with me? Scar has killed Mufasa. Everybody get that? All right, so here comes the scene. I want you to see it, and uh, it's going to be about two and a half minutes. Here we go. Wow. Everybody, everybody with me? Okay, do I need to get tissue out for, for any ladies in the room? Guys, you're trying to suck it up right now? Just pinch your upper lip. That's what you're supposed to do. Hey, I, I share that. I know it's dramatic, and I realize it's dramatic. And uh, for all the people listening on the podcast right now, you didn't get to see the Lion King clip, but here's the point of it, okay? Scar is lying to Simba about what really happened, making Simba think that he's responsible for killing his own father. He totally twists the truth right there on the spot and says, run away, run away. And it's so much a picture an example of what the devil does in this world. 
He is the father of lies. And when he speaks lies, he speaks in his native language. And the thing I want us to do tonight, the thing I want you to know tonight, that there is an influencing factor in this world on the decisions that you make every single day. And I want you to awaken to the fact that he's the devil and that he's real and that you need to be paying attention. And the way we're going to look at this and the way he operates is that we're going to look at this passage back in the beginning. It's Genesis 3. We're going to read the whole thing. It's 10 verses, and we're going to hustle through them, and we're going to get through it all tonight, okay? Here it is, all right? Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, there's some things that you need to learn. This is, most of you are familiar with the story. You've heard it, the story at least. And we always think about you know Adam and Eve in the garden and how they sinned in the garden and whose fault it was. But there's, there's something that you need to learn. There's some observations that we need to make from this passage. And the first thing is in verse 1. It's a, and we're going to read this again, just verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, this is what you need to know. He presents his argument in a crafty and skillful manner. The the serpent, the enemy, the devil is smart. And when he presents his argument, it's convincing. Okay? It's very, very convincing. And he has a plan. And he knows who you are. And he knows what you're going to go for. And he presents his argument in a very crafty and skillful manner. In verse 4, he says this, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And so he challenges God's word. He challenges God's word. He takes it dead on. And the only thing that he changed in God's word was the word not. Eve said to the serpent, God said we will die. God said we will die. And the serpent responds and says, you certainly will not die. You surely will not die. And it's like, what? I never thought about this before. I've never been presented this argument before. And he he, he challenges God's word right from the start. Here we go. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat 
when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is what he does here. He attacks the intent of God's heart and character. And so he spun the whole situation to Eve. And it's like, why would God tell you not to eat from that tree? He's obviously withholding something from you. He's obviously not letting you in on everything. And and surely he's holding back. Can he be trusted right now? I mean, come on. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's fruit. It's just fruit. Just like all the other trees here. Then he, he does this also. He promises something that he cannot deliver. He promises something that he cannot deliver. He said, hey, if you eat of this, you're going to be like God. And that is something that the enemy cannot make happen. He cannot make Eve like God. He cannot do that. And this is what the enemy does all the time in his craftiness. He always promises something that he cannot deliver. He promises you sometimes in relationships. He's like, hey, if you have sex before marriage, you'll have intimacy. I mean, that's what it was made for. Sex was made for intimacy. You know, and he promises that and and he cannot deliver that. And people try it all the time, and they, they go too far. They break the boundaries of what God intended. And, and you tell me, is intimacy there? Or is there strife there? He does this with eating disorders all the time. And I don't want to be light or flippant on that tonight in the room. But he's like, hey, if you just lose a little more weight... If you just lose a little more weight, then now you're going to be like beautiful. Now people are going to accept you. Now you're going to be worth something. And the reality is it's a disorder. It's a disease. And no matter how often you look in the mirror, you're never going to see it correctly. You're never going to see it right. And he's going to keep distorting it. He's going to keep distorting it. And I just want to say to you tonight, it's a promise that he cannot deliver And you need to expose the lie that you believe in that moment. At the end of the night, we're going to talk about ways that you can get help for things like this. this. Guys, he promises you, hey, if you look at, at this image, you look at that image, you look at pornography, it's going to satisfy you. And I know if we had a conversation about it one on one tonight, you'd say it never satisfies Because it only creates an appetite that can never be satisfied. And that's the way he operates. The enemy promises constantly something that he can never deliver on. Let's go with uh, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And this is what he does. He appeals to the basic needs of man and woman. And this is so important for you to understand as you're trying to answer the question, who am I? That you have God-given needs. You have God-given needs. They're perfectly normal. They're perfectly natural. They were created by God. But but the enemy wants to come in and he wants to, to present another option for you to find satisfaction for those needs. And he appeals to your own needs And promises you something that he cannot deliver with those needs. In trying to fulfill those needs. That's what he does. 
The rest of verse 6 says this. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And so here's what he does. He often uses other people to influence us. That's what the enemy does. He uses other people to influence us. In this case, it was her husband. Or it was his wife. I'm sorry, his wife. You know, it was like his wife. Sorry, I was trying to change the history there. Some of you would like that. It was, but it was somebody with a name. It was like, that's my wife. My wife is saying I should eat this. And what you need to know tonight is that he uses people with names to influence us. He uses people with names because there are people with names that you are impressed by. There are people with names that you want to impress. There are people with names that you want to find your validation in. So it might be your boyfriend. It might be your girlfriend. It might be your parents. It might be perfectly healthy people. But you're trying to satisfy a desire that cannot be met in those people. It cannot be. It's unrealistic. And I just want you to awaken tonight to the reality of the situation and go, okay, I can't, that need cannot be met in them. That's unfair for me to expect that. But the enemy always wants to make it look really appealing because he's smart and he's crafty and he wants to bring you down. And finally, verse uh, 7, we're going to pick up the last part of this. It says, the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And so... There is so much going on here. Because what happens in this moment is, is that your insecurities, Adam and Eve's insecurities, were exposed. I mean, if you can just picture them, they're trying to cover up. They know they messed up, and now they're trying to cover up. And the thing I want you to know is that when your insecurities arise, when your cre- insecurities create doubt in you, do not run from the only source that can help you figure it out. And so many times, when we're trying to answer the question, who am I, we get insecure. And we get insecure and we make bad decisions. And then when we make bad decisions, we run and hide. And that's the the worst place you can go. You can't run and hide. The only person who can help you out in this situation is your Heavenly Father who gave us Jesus to make us right. And so don't run and hide from him. But that's exactly what the enemy wants. That's the exact thing that the enemy is like, hey, you've really blown it now. And just picture that moment with Scar and Simba. And he says, he says this question to Simba. He says, what do you think your mom's going to think of this? What do you think your mom's going to think of this? And it just breaks Simba's heart. Because he knows his mom's going to be crushed. And he thinks he's responsible for it. But the enemy does that all the time. He's like, those people at the living room, they cannot know the truth about what's going on in your life. If they really knew who you were and what you struggle with, they wouldn't accept you. You better not confess that. You better not share that with anyone. 
That's the lie the enemy wants you to believe. Here's what he does. 1 Peter 5 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so this is what I want for you. I want you to be alert. I want you to be aware. I want you to know that there is an enemy. And here's, here's everything that we're trying to say tonight. When our insecurities create doubt, be alert and look out. When our insecurities create doubt, be alert and look out. What are you looking out for? You're looking out for the enemy. You're looking out for how he's manipulating your insecurities. And you've got to be aware that he has a plan for your life. And he wants to destroy you living the life that God has for you. He wants to stop you from living the life that God has for you. So be alert and look out and know that there is an influencing factor on the decisions you make. Now, here's what what I want to tell you about tonight. Listen, there's a lot going on here. We are all insecure people. Can I just say that? Every, every, everybody has insecurities. I've never met anyone who's not insecure in something, some area. Okay? And so if you think you're the only insecure one, that's not true. That's a lie. We all have insecurities. And we have incredible ministries here at this church that want to help you discover those and figure out who you are. We have this amazing team here. It's called the Care Ministry. And we can get you in counseling. We can get you with mentors that have been through the same struggles that you've been through. And they can walk you through it. It's called Renew. A Renew Mentor. And we would love to connect you. If whatever struggle you have going on in your life, we would like to connect you with someone to help you. Whether it's a professional counselor or whether it's a one-on-one mentor. And so for you ladies in the room, I want to introduce some people. I didn't prepare them, um, but Kristen Fry is in the back right here. Kristen, will you stand? I know everybody knows Kristen. She's going to be speaking next week, by the way. You don't want to miss it, but there's Kristen. And then Christina Donald, are you in the room? She's over here, Christina Donald. And Faith is back here. Faith is a Georgia State student, but she actually works in the care ministry as well. And here's what I want you to do. If you want some help with what's going on in your life, and you want to start answering this question, who am I? And you want to get some help so you can get to the bottom of, hey, i got to figure out these insecurities and how I'm getting my needs met in poor ways. I want you to go to one of these ladies and just give them your name and your email, and they're going to tell you how you can get connected to the care ministry. Okay, they're going to follow up with you that way. If you're a guy, I'd love for you to come see me. You can see Mitch in the back who's at the production booth as well. Come see me or Mitch or see Trey as well. And uh, come talk to him. Just give me your name and email address. And we would love to follow up with you and connect you to the care ministry. And then finally, I just want to say this. Next week, we're going to be going deeper about who you are, meaning that there is a source that we believe that you should live from. And we talked about it last week. It's Jesus, and he's the only one who's going to satisfy your soul. And Kristen Fry is going to be here, and she's going to unpack the scripture for you so that we can discover what scripture says about the truth of who we are in Jesus. And so I would love for you to come join us next week. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We're going to sing a couple more songs, but before we do that, I'd love to pray for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. For Jesus, And we thank you that he is the truth, that he is the way, and that he is the way to live life to the fullest. 
And we're so grateful for him. And God, I thank you that he has spoken the word that there is an enemy and that he's a deceiver. And God, my, my prayer tonight for these students is that you would awaken them to that reality. And that you would set them free from the voice of the accuser, from the condemnation that he tries to throw their way, the lie that says that they're not worthy, that they're not good enough, that they'll never measure up. And it's a lie, God, because we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I pray tonight, God, that these students would walk in the truth of that freedom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.